When Mihir left Delhi and moved back to Hazaribagh in 2017, he didn't imagine that his hometown's wilderness and secret waterfalls, its fascinating history would pull him out of a difficult space and change the way he perceives home. On this episode, we are in conversation with Mihir Ratsa, poet and author of Tales of Hazaribagh, an intimate portrait of the Chota Nagpur Plateau. Imagine we're all closing our eyes, everyone who's listening, and you included. Um, how do you imagine Hazari Bagh? Because you're not there right now. So if you were to imagine Hazari Bagh, could you describe it for us, just like in in a few words, so we can get that picture in our head? Sure. So uh, in my imagination, uh, I don't uh, equate Hazari Bagh with the town of Hazari Bagh so much. in my imagination hazari bagh is, is a specific kind of landscape and that landscape consists of uh, plateau geography uh, there's certain sense of flatness there's certain sense of undulation as well there are hills uh, there are lakes uh, and there's this good amount of forest <laughs> so so that's what hazari bagh means to me and uh, that's that's my Uh, spatial imagination. Uh, for other people, I'm pretty sure that they imagine uh, the same place differently. Uh, but it has always been the landscape uh, of Hazari Bagh which has fascinated me. So that 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 that's what I imagine when I close my eyes and think about my homeland. What are some elements that are essential to being able to visualize a space? I think uh, a kind of uh, first is. Uh, a kind of appreciation critical appreciation of what uh, what what you want to write about what you want to think about uh, and the second uh, a specific kind of vocabulary in order to articulate it uh, most of the time uh, we feel very strongly for certain places and yet uh, we are unable to codify that feeling into sentences Uh, as a writer it then becomes a very challenging and frustrating task because uh, if 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 you want to mine out the particularities of a certain place then that vocabulary also has to be particular and most of the time we work within a general set of words which are uh, which is understandable to a, a larger group of people so <clears throat> I, that's what i think that there there's there has to be some sort of negotiation between uh, the economy of feelings and the economy of words that we have you mentioned in the book that you know you were going through a difficult time you were battling depression um and then you went back home uh was the writing process and the research process for uh while you were coming up with tales of azadi bag was it cathartic for you Uh, yes, in in many ways it was. I mean, for one, it gave me a direction, uh, even though it wasn't uh, apparent at that time. So, so what happened was, twenty seventeen January, I returned to Hazari Bagh from Delhi, and uh, for one year uh, between twenty seventeen to eighteen, uh, it was a it it was a different kind of frenzy. So, if in Delhi the frenzy was more towards work and lifestyle in in jharkhand that frenzy had taken on a completely different form so i was just 
I, I was eager to get out of home, uh, my, my own home in Hazaribagh and, and go outwards into the plateau. So I would start quite early in the morning, say five or six o'clock and uh, just enter any patch of forest or take any road that I found interesting and spend around six, seven hours just walking or exploring and return home by three, four in the evening. And this continued for around six to seven months. So at that time, uh, catharsis hadn't set in. At that time, this was uh, me finding an alternative to uh, what my life was back in Delhi. Uh, but once all these experiences piled up, and then when I started writing the book, uh, then it dawned upon me that something had happened. Uh, I was looking at my homeland in a very different way than I had looked before. And by the time the book reaches its epilogue, uh, I was able to look at myself very differently from the way I had looked before. So the sense of me understanding the place as well as my own sense of self, both came out uh, quite profoundly changed by the time the book finished. You know how you in your book also mentioned that most people are trying to do things for a place or do things in a place, but what are some things that a place can do for you? Yeah. You know, the, uh, the, the, so when, when I was quite young, uh, around 17, 18 years old, uh, I had just uh, came from Hazaribagh in Delhi in order to pursue my higher studies. And uh, there is a kind of uh, I, this kind of desire among, I think, all people who belong to small towns and all people who love their small towns. There are many people who belong to small towns, but they don't love their small towns. They want to get out as, as early as they can. But people who feel very strongly uh, for the, their homeland, uh, I, I think that uh, there's always that sort of idealism that uh, something I would like to do for the place that has cradled me. Uh, and, and that I think is, 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 is relevant and valid uh, on one hand, uh, but you can only do things for something or someone if you are full, if you have that capacity to do it. If, if your emotions allow uh, you to grant emotions to other people, if your resources, uh, if you're resourceful enough in the first place. Uh, uh, while writing the book, it felt uh, to me uh, that I wasn't resourceful enough at that time in order to do something for uh, the town. Uh, it was uh, actually the other way around that I had let myself to be changed by the space which I was traversing uh, through these uh, uh, two, three years that I took in order to write the book. Uh, <clears throat> there's also uh, uh, in, in the epilogue, uh, there, there's, a, there's, there's a short section uh, where uh, I, I, I write something along the lines of, I'm forgetting the exact lines, but, I'm, but I write something along the lines of that I started to love myself through the plateau. And uh, when that love had entered my life and when it brimmed over, then I was able to give uh, that love 
uh, when the love for Plato entered my life and when it brimmed over, then I was able to give some of that love to myself too, uh, which I think people who suffer from uh, mental distress and mental health problem, they, they can identify the feeling of not uh, deserving of love. And that was a very crucial uh, change which uh, the place did for me. So to allow yourself uh, to be vulnerable to uh, the magic uh, of, of the place in which you, uh, you find yourself in, which you inhabit, uh, that, that also takes a bit of courage uh, to step out of the narcissism of individualism. And uh, that I think uh, I, I learned while writing the book. Who do you think uh, Hazari Bagh has been kinder to? Um, young Mihir or Mihir as an adult? Uh, Hazari Bagh has, has been kinder. Uh, it has been always kind to me, but uh, uh, it has been kinder to Mihir the adult. Uh, but because uh, that kindness has been more profound, uh, more life-changing than the prior time. And you know, Mihir, many times we feel homesick when um, you know we're missing the idea of home more than the place itself and you have also lived in many places so um, you would be uh, you know aware of that feeling um, but, and often when you go back home it's not the same home that you remembered or were holding on to and that breaks your heart more for many people it has to do with uh, the neighborhood they grew up in that is kind of changing people, the faces have changed. Uh, for someone like me, uh, for example, uh, uh, the appearance of uh, bushes and wilderness has changed or uh, some new road has been constructed through a forest. Uh, so things like these uh, uh, happen and perhaps we, as individuals, we don't have much control over what happens on a policy level or what happens on, 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 on the larger scale. Uh, but uh, what has been uh, helpful uh, to me uh, whenever I have tried to again and again root myself in my homeland is, is to continue imagining. Uh, so, for example, uh, the thousand and one nights of Arabian uh, nights, you know, where the princess is supposed to uh, tell a story and she ends the story uh, uh, on a cliffhanger. So we don't let the idea of home go stale uh, because if we approach home with an idea which is constant, uh, then we are bound to face uh, a disappointment because uh, reality isn't constant, it always changes. Uh, but if we are open to making the idea of home dynamic, then we can perhaps find some solace uh, uh, by mixing uh, some sort of idealism with realism and by also being able to uh, uh, appreciate uh, in, and not just uh, relegate home to the domain of nostalgia. Uh, if, if, if we put uh, home in, in nostalgia, then, uh, then, then, then I think we have lost the battle. Uh, then I think we have kind of given up. Uh, we have uh, pulled ourselves out of the responsibility that we have towards home. <laughs> so when while you were rediscovering your home um, in your alto, do you recall an experience which was 
I mean, I'm sure there are so many that you're also like talking about in the book, but is there one experience that uh, was outworldly and I don't know, it could be a person or out in the wilderness, an experience that you just felt like was life changing for you? Two or three things or events uh, happened. And uh, I'll mention two. Uh, and, and both of these events had to do with me uh, or, or, or Hazari Bagh forcing me to think in, in ways that I hadn't uh, thought before. So one example is that in chapter four, uh, Forest, uh, uh, there's a mention of a waterfall which disappears over time. Yeah, that's my favorite chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so that disappears over time because the stream which feeds the waterfall, that is dammed. And once uh, the stream doesn't reach the waterfall, the rocks that are present, they are thrown open to stone chip mining. Uh, now, I, I didn't know that uh, the, the mine existed or came into operation uh, because first the uh, river was made to shrink uh, and second that uh, the dam upstream, uh, that used to be my uh, very favorite spot, uh, Lotua Dam. And it's, it's quite scenic in itself too, the reservoir. And I would, I still go there, and it's it's great place for photography. But uh, when when I made that connection, that uh, it was the same river which used to flow down that waterfall, and this reservoir which I like so much, so the scenic beauty, as we call it, so the beauty of one entity uh, came at the cost of the disappearance of the other. And that was so strange because uh, we, at least I used to think of uh, ideas like landscape and beauty in very abstract terms. I used to think that these, these ideas don't change. So there's a certain enduring quality to beauty or there's a certain enduring quality to landscape because you know landscape is how land appears to us in one sense. Uh, so if uh, if there's a mountain range, uh, so that's the mountain range. I mean, there's some sort of permanency in there. But uh, between uh, Lotwa Dam and Tiger Fall, uh, I I realized that uh, landscape is not innocent, but that it is also subject to multiple forces, uh, whether it is policy making, whether it is politics whether it is extraction of minerals. And that was a huge blow actually uh, to, to kind of uh, materialize something abstract, uh, to kind of put, uh, you know, bring history to landscape. Uh, because earlier landscape was ahistorical. It, it was just supposed to exist. And uh, I had never given it much thought that how appearance of land can also change uh, by just signing certain documents in files in secretariats. The second uh, event was that I was once uh, just uh, out of curiosity, I was just uh, uh, walking inside a forest. And I had walked, uh, like I, I'm not really someone who gets scared easily. So, and I, I had my own share of walking alone in the forest by that time. But then there came a moment where this must be two, two or three p.m. in the afternoon, 
and that uh, I was just walking, 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 and suddenly the entire forest turned very quiet and very eerie, and and there was no there was no sound, there was no wind, uh, no leaves uh, rustling after any bird call. And the only thing that I could hear was gravel, which was being crunched under my feet as I was walking on the surface. And then suddenly I thought that maybe I, I, I shouldn't be here. Uh, this, this, uh, this doesn't feel right. And so I, I walked a few more steps, but the silence grew so heavy uh, that it almost turned frightening. So then I just uh, uh, turned back and uh, walked back to my auto and left. Uh, now the lesson to learn here, or uh, it, I can't even call it a lesson, but again, it made me think about forest in a different way. Now, when I said that I had multiple experiences of walking in the forest, it was, it was done through a very anthropocentric lens like i am the man i am entering nature and i, and I can do anything you know, like the man of 21st century uh, armed with technology armed with google earth and satellite mappings and all of these things so uh, and and when technology is entering forest uh, there's also some sort of confidence that i had ki haan, I, I won't get lost i mean i i have these trails marked right in front of me and yet there was something uh, experiential, which was new in that forest. If you were to prepare a travel kit for someone who is an ex-resident of a place but turned tourist now, like maybe a person who's revisiting, mm -hmm. what are some things you'd pack? And these things don't necessarily have to be objects. If someone were to go to Patna as uh, as as in in uh, in an attempt to unfamiliarize the familiar. So in, in an attempt to reimagine a home. Uh, so I would ask them uh, to perhaps uh, change the paradigm a bit. Uh, so earlier, if, if, uh, if Patna used to be uh, a place where uh, uh, we would take uh, this combination of paths in order to arrive from place one to place two, uh, maybe a different combination of path, uh, uh, paths could be worked out. Uh, if earlier uh, uh, the Ganga River wasn't appealing uh, because I was too busy <laughs> eating at Domino's, which I, uh, I my maternal uh, uh, grandmother used to live in Patna. So I have been to that place often. So, uh, and, and this is what we used to do because we didn't used to care about other things. So if, if someone is returning uh, and then if they are looking for a fresh approach, then maybe start from the ground beneath your feet. Uh, maybe start looking at, uh, is, it, is it extremely flat or does it rise and fall somewhere? Uh, what does uh, the river look, uh, look like? Uh, what are the drains that are emptying into, uh, in, in, into the uh, Ganga River? Where are those drains coming from? Uh, you know, it, it's it's just a, a, a slight change in in uh, in 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 the way uh, we think of uh, of a place, and and a slight change in coming up 
you're conjuring spaces out of one place. So if space is experiential, if space is lived experience of a place, then there can be multiple spaces uh, uh, emerging from one city, one, one landscape, one town. So create those multiple spaces, perhaps go back and read gazetteers. And they are fascinating documents, uh, uh, fascinating historical documents, which was written by civil servants at the time, colonial period. And, and, and they used to cover multiple things like culture, what is the physical geography like? All of these things you will find in old gazetteers. I, I, I find reading them fascinating. So I would advise uh, anyone who is trying to approach their hometown or, home, hometown or homeland uh, in, in a new manner uh, to, 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 to read something, uh, to read literature emerging from that place. And if contemporary literature is not available, then read gazetteers, they are available online. Uh, perhaps start walking uh, more uh, and, and uh, try, to look at, uh, try to look at these physical entities that surround you, uh, like rivers, lakes, ponds, uh, and, 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 and try also to create emotional attachment. And attachment not in the negative sense, but attachment in the sense of investment that try to create some sort of emotional investment uh, with things or people uh, you wouldn't have done before. Do you think that a place is only beautiful till it remains undiscovered? I, I don't think that uh, there are many pristine places left in India. You know, the word pristine, it, it, we use it very casually, but it really means untouched. Uh, but uh, if uh, the forest even uh, in, in our country, uh, they, they aren't untouched. The British were there, they used to uh, do timber farming and uh, uh, as in, if you enter any forest, you'll always have these trails. Uh, beauty, uh, of course, uh, lies in the eyes of the beholder, that's one thing to say, uh, but the responsibility of beauty also lies in the eyes of beholders. I think here, when, when we uh, accept that we have certain responsibility towards beauty, then we can uh, make beauty flexible too, just like the idea of home I was talking about. So it, it is not necessary that beauty should exist in undiscovered places alone. Uh, even places where we, we go to multiple times uh, in a day uh, or in, in a year, uh, they, they can and must remain beautiful because if we, and, and, and that understanding of beauty uh, also has to come with, within us, from us, uh, uh, with a sense of maintaining uh, uh, the beauty. So the so first thing is that I see that something is beautiful. And the second is that I must maintain its beauty. So if I only uh, am interested in consuming beauty, then beauty becomes a product. Uh, if I am interested in maintaining and fighting for beauty, then beauty perhaps becomes an intellectual way of thinking, or even as far as becoming a lifestyle in itself. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the first uh, uh, meaning of the word landscape, which I said was the appearance of land, but the more etymological, technical meaning of landscape is actually the condition of land. 
and uh, when when uh, when we make the shift from appearance to condition uh, then some sort of human involvement is required because that condition is contingent upon how we behave towards the land or whatever beauty it has to offer so i think that uh, uh, and and just like hazari bag uh, hazari bag was beautiful before too is just that i didn't know it uh, it, it it took me uh, a, a different approach in order to verbalize uh, the beauty there uh, there are still people in hazari bag who uh, my own friends who who don't consider the place uh, very beautiful they're like yahan hai jungle hai <laughs> for them it's just jungle and for others it's just ha talab hai jheel hai just something like that so it it takes a a a a different sort of mindset a different sort of perception in order to identify beauty even in the familiar things that you have seen and then of course there is a certain kind of romance to undiscovered places so they by default become exciting if not beautiful and if they turn out to be pretty then of course that excitement plus beauty builds to something very grand uh, uh, but uh, once you have discovered those prior undiscovered places then what uh, then then and once you have had access to their beauty then what then what do you do then the next step is to fight for it and and to preserve it conserve it uh, make sure that it doesn't disappear anytime sooner and and yeah advocate for it so that's what i think that no uh, beauty is not chained only to undiscovered places but uh, it has that very malleable quality and it as much to do with places as it has to do with our own idea of beauty our own perception of it published by speaking tiger Tales of Hazari Bagh is available online and in bookstores in India.